Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with Euronext. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. And Happy New Year to you all. This week I'm talking to Norman Crowley, the hugely successful West Cork entrepreneur who's made millions over the years on various technology businesses. In 2011, he pivoted towards climate change, setting up Crowley Carbon. It helps some of the world's biggest companies save huge sums of money by reducing their energy output. More recently, he's expanded into producing vintage electric cars with plans well advanced to build a factory in Paris Court County Wicklow under the brand of Electrify. And he's planning a venture into meatless meat, another key battleground in the fight to reduce our carbon footprint. You'll hear him tell me why the pollution caused by airlines is easily solved, but the future for beef farmers is bleak. He's a fan of Greta Thunberg, but not of Extinction Rebellion. And with experts giving us just a decade to save the planet, Norman gives me his view on whether this can be achieved. I should warn you that some of the language he uses is colourful to say the least, but it's just an expression of his passion on a grave issue that affects us all. Here we go. Now, Norman Crowley, thank you for joining Inside Business. Good to have you here. Um, I suppose we should start with the uh, with the fires. Given given your environmental credentials, we should start with the bushfires in Australia. What do you make of it all? Is this is this climate change in action? Is this a very real threat, or is it just a is it a one off horrible uh, nightmare for Australia? No, I think it is climate change in action. Sadly, I don't think it's a one off. I don't think anyone in Australia. Uh, thinks it's a one-off. Like we have a business in Australia headquartered in Sydney and we talk to our guys down there every second day and it's shocking. The It kind of feels like the end of the world, you know. Mm. And uh, like when you look at the maps and see the scale of it, it's very disturbing. And then like it's, the, you know, excuse the pun, it's the tip of the iceberg. Like there's quite a lot of serious climate stuff happening around the world. There's like, you don't hear about it, but there's droughts right now in half of Asia also that nobody's talking about. And Australia gets a lot of attention because it's a fully developed country and we all know people there, but there are equally as bad things happening all over the place, you know. Yeah. There's droughts in Texas for the last six years and nobody ever talks about them. Like they haven't seen rain. They've had to shut down meat factories and cattle farms and all that kind of thing, you know. So it's happening all the time, you know. Um, so it is disturbing. We we don't come at it from that disturbing side and we don't jump on the hysteria because we believe it's about fixing it rather than just talking about it. And certainly it's about not panicking and just getting on with it, you know. So we try to play it differently than a lot of the panic that you hear out there. Yeah, I yeah, know. I mentioned that you have environmental credentials, but you've actually made a business out of this, out of helping yeah. companies to become green and mm. save money. 
Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that. It's called Crowley Carbon and it yeah. was set up in 2011. And yeah. I think we all know you have a base out in uh, Paris Court, yeah, which a lot right. of people are probably visiting. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, so I guess how we got into it was we sold another business. So I'm a, I guess what you'd call a serial entrepreneur, although that sounds like a bullshitty term. You know, we had sold probably four businesses by the time we got to 2011. And so we were looking to get back into business, but looking to have something that would have an impact rather than just buying something for a buck and selling it for two. And like climate change is the ultimate existential crisis, right? It is if you believe the science and almost everybody does, then, you know, it it is something that is going to change the way we live. And Australia is, is probably the latest shocking example of that. Um, and so, but if you're going to, combat something like climate change, our view is whatever you do has to be sustainable. And I don't mean that in terms of the word, classic word that people use about sustainable. I mean that if you're going to impact climate change, you have to figure out ways of making it profitable for people, because if you don't, then they will pay it lip service, but not do anything about it. And that's what's happening pretty much every day. So like their environmental organizations have been talking about climate change for nearly 40, 50 years, and they would be the first to admit that they've achieved nothing, you know. So then if they've achieved nothing, then the first question we asked back then was, why is that the case? And it's the case because you, what you're asking the modern consumer to do is pick one of two choices, either live minimally and not progress and not have all the, the joys of modern life, right? Mm. Be that international travel or yeah. eating a steak or whatever, or else choose live maximally and damage the planet. They are the two choices that people were being offered and people choose to people choose progress always and so they choose to live maximally and feel bad about what they're doing but sure. do it so give us some examples of how you've helped companies to change yeah. remain profitable but also be green yeah so so we break the business first of all i guess into three areas the first is the business area and that is we break how we approach this into three areas so impact educate and inspire. So impact is the first one. And so impact is the first business we set up and that's Crowley Carbon. And Crowley Carbon, basically the shocking truth is that businesses around the world waste at least 50% of all the energy and resources they consume. And so like people don't, people sometimes find that hard to believe. But when we go into a business and say 50% of the energy they were wasting, then people believe it very quickly. And that's a massive environmental problem, but it's also a massive financial opportunity, especially at the scale. So we primarily work in energy efficiency. So that is stopping that waste from happening. And the scale of the waste, like now the projects we would do, we would work with the biggest meat factory in, or meat company in the world to save them $200 million a year, right? So the scale is, is very large now. So JBS is the biggest meat company in the world. Second biggest meat company is a company called Tyson Meats in the US, who's a client. Um, BRF, Brazilian company, is third biggest. So all anybody in food really large scale globally would know who we are because the reason food has jumped on this thing about cutting cost is because energy is kind of, you know, anything from two to 10% of your overall cost. And if you can 
take that down by 50%, then it's a huge result. Right? But we work with oil companies and chemical companies and anybody large, basically, who spends money on energy. Biggest makers of glass in the world, second biggest makers of glass in the world are all clients of ours. What about here at home? Any Irish companies as clients? Yeah, Plan B is a big client. Um, we have, what have you managed to do for them? So we've worked across their mills and their dairy businesses and we've reduced energy consumption there by 30-40%. Yeah. Um, and Dawn Meats, one of our very first customers. Um, we have two of the very high-profile technology companies here. Um, we're not allowed to mention who they are, but you can imagine who they are. Yeah, yeah OK. So and wh- what exactly do you do? I mean, is it a case of going in and telling them, well, you know, you got to switch providers, energy providers no, maybe, or you've got to switch off your lights, you got to use different bulbs? What is it? No. So everything we do, the shocking thing is you don't have to do anything. Like everything we do is automatic. And so if it was a building, we stop it from overheating or overcooling. Um, and we make the equipment that provides the heating and cooling more efficient. So you might have a boiler. There might be a boiler in this building and we would either replace it with a more efficient boiler or we would make it stop starting and stopping. So even this building, which is seven or eight years old, we would be able to go in here and reduce energy consumption here by 30, 40 percent. Like one of the most modern buildings in Dublin is owned by a very high profile technology company. And we it was built in 2006 and we reduced its energy consumption by nearly 70 percent. And nobody who goes into that building every day and knows that we did that. Um, it's just purely under the covers efficiency. And it's engineering, basically. And the reason for that is that there's been a big shift in the last 30, 40 years in terms of we've gotten rid of a lot of the engineers we have globally. Like if you take something like Doncaster in the UK, it used to produce 6,000 apprentices every year and they knew how steam worked and how cooling worked and all that. Doncaster doesn't produce any apprentices now. And you know, my brother used to work in the ESB and the ESB used to have apprentices every year and now they don't. And so we've had this huge loss where people don't understand how equipment works anymore. And so equipment runs completely out of control in every factory in the world all the time. And people don't believe that until they get us in. And then when we go into a factory, we just finished a big audit for a meat factory in Arkansas. And we went in and said, this is out of control. This is completely out of control. And the owner of the meat business was just pale. He was just shocked at the, how this had happened. But yet that group had saved 200 million by making their engineering force redundant in the last three years. So what do you think is going to happen all the machines when you turn your back on them, you know? So are these one-off audits you go in and do? You go in, you do a project uh, and then you leave the company or is there recurring income? Well, there's recurring income because we then, what we noticed was we would go in and do a one-off project, we'd save them all this money and then when you turn your back on it, everything would get subtly changed again because either they didn't have enough engineering capability there to mind it or something would change like a piece of equipment would degrade. And so we invented our software then, which is called Clarity, which is this thing that everyone talks about, this Internet of Things software. So we have these tiny sensors that are like little matchboxes and we can stick them on everything from boilers to chillers to air handlers and they report back to us everything that's happening. And that's, you then magically get this thing called a smart factory, which is where, so we can take a pretty dumb old factory 
and in about four hours we can deploy 200 sensors, 400 sensors and make it into a smart factory. And then you can save money on energy from that, but also you can save money on equipment because that will tell us that the equipment is being used wrong and is going to break. And then we can save you money because you don't have to replace the equipment that was about to break. And then also we can increase the throughput of the factory because if you're not chilling fast enough, like there's a pet Mm. food company in Ireland and we increased our output by 10% because we were able to chill the product faster. They were able to increase their throughput faster. So there are all these massive benefits other than energy and climate. So every company in the world must want your services. And a lot of we're very lucky, like if you take food and four of the top eight food companies in the world are clients of ours, technology, likewise, five of the top 10 technology companies in the world, pharmaceutical, eight of the top 10 pharmaceutical companies in the world are clients of ours. So we're in 26 countries around the world growing like a weed, you know. <laughs> and tell us how big uh, Crowley Carbon is right now. How many people have you got? What kind of um, annual revenues are you doing? Across the whole group, we have about 400 people. Um, across the whole group, annual revenues of probably just under 100 million. Yeah. 100 million, right. And how, what's, the, what's the growth scale, trajectory like of we that? We double in size every year. Yeah. So is, you were 50 million the previous year? Yeah. Which is so why. you're going to be 200 million next year? Yeah. yeah. So in 2020, you'll be 200 we'll million? Be 200 million across the group. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's a scary uh, growth. And how curve. profitable a business is it? Uh, What's well, the profit we margin are, like? We're a private company, so luckily we don't have to disclose. And also, if I told you the profit margin, then a lot of our customers would phone up and say that we're making too much That's money. not sustainable. <laughs> but we do very well, yeah. Now, when people think of the climate change crisis, and I, I think you would agree that it is a crisis, um, they think of aviation, let's mm-hmm. say, and they think of the aircraft mm-hmm. uh, flying uh, hither yeah. and thither across the world, yeah. burning a lot of fuel, mm. big carbon footprints. They mm-hmm. think of farming. And yeah. We're all focused on farming yeah, now yeah, and yeah. the meat that's being produced. And again, mm. uh, the food miles involved, mm-hmm. uh, etc. Mm. Um, I know that isn't your specific area of focus with your company, yeah. but how are we going to solve those problems? Well, if you look at it first, the first way you solve it is you look at the actual truth, right? Um, so aviation is only 2% of the whole problem. So how you solve aviation longer term is in two ways. So there's the good news is this is a solution for every single thing, right? So, but aviation is not where you'd start because it's not the biggest problem. Uh, Aviation, how you solve it is, and it will be solved in the next 20 years, is several different things. One is smaller, short haul aircraft are going to go electric and Siemens already have a plane that's got electric engines. And then in the case of longer haul, it's going to go hydrogen. So we're going to generate hydrogen fuel Um, using solar energy and then we're going to put that into a different type of plane and it's going to go a lot faster than the current plane and it's going to solve that big thing. But you don't wake up, we don't wake up, we're in, you know, we have our big industrial business but we wake up in the morning and worry about solving climate change and we don't worry about aviation because it's 2% of the problem. We worry about the cow because the cow is 20% of the whole problem and the cow causes that problem in a couple of different ways. People think it's methane and methane from a cow generally is part of the problem, but also... belching and so forth? Belching and farting, Mm. God bless him. And I grew up on a farm and I know a lot of farmers and my brother's a farmer, so I understand this problem quite deeply. And then also we have a lot of meat company customers and they don't just pay us to solve the energy problem, they pay us to solve the methane problem and the packaging problem and the nitrogen problem. And the biggest problems 
with farming are things that people never talk about, like not the belching and farting, which is a slight problem, but you can fix that, funnily enough. If you feed kind of seaweed to a cow in a, supp- a seaweed supplement, and then the cow will stop belching and farting to the tune of about 70%, right? So we'll get to that, we'll fix that over the next seven or eight years. But the other problems are much deeper, like we're burning down the rainforests to grow soya to feed cattle. And also then we are spreading nitrogen on the ground and that is creating these massive dead zones. Like in the Gulf of Mexico, you can't go for a swim anymore because you, you're, you'll get a bacterial infection in your skin that you won't be able to fix because of these weird dead zones that are in the sea. And so people sometimes treat climate change as like, well, I don't believe in it. Well, guess what? T- climate change isn't a religion. Right? You don't get to believe in it or not believe in it. Like you, you can believe, for instance, that the world is getting warmer, which it is or you can choose not to. But do you believe that there's a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico that causes our skin to fall off, right? Well, you better bloody believe it because it's there, right? And you can see it with your eyes. Um, Do you believe it's burning in Australia right now? You can choose to believe the cause of that is one thing or another. But really, you're in the vast, vast minority at this point. But One of the great thing, one of the crazy things that's happened is people have chosen this to be some kind of religious experience. It's not. It's just science. Like, you know, if somebody, if you went into your doctor and heaven forbid he told you you were sick, you might get a second opinion, but you wouldn't treat it like a religious experience where you would choose to believe him or not, right? Well, Donald Um, Trump doesn't believe the science. Donald Trump doesn't and quite a lot of other people don't either. And I think, though, if you if you wake up and you say, why are they choosing not to, right? Um, then they are choosing not to for a couple of different reasons. One is that they are being sick. They're sick of being preached at by other people. And I'm sick of being preached at by other people. And so, and I'm in, I care about this deeply and I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And yet I'm sick of being preached at, you know, and I'm a meat eater and I don't like to be told what to do by anybody. So, I can see why people are sick of being preached at. And the other thing is, it's back to this problem that we've had for the last 30, 40 years. People were only given one choice, which is live minimally, become a vegan, all of that. Now, in 2020, we have plenty choices. We can eat meatless meats. We can drive electric cars. We can actually solve an awful lot of the problems that are out there and just be better off in the process of it. And so... You remember at the beginning I said we do impact. So impact is energy efficiency, solar, sucking carbon out of the air. And that side of our business now is no joke. To give an idea scale, we take a money point size power station out of circulation every four weeks right now. Around the world. Around the world. So we're not fucking around anymore. I assume I'm allowed to curse on this podcast. Well, you just have, so it's okay. (laughs) Um, So we're not messing around, right? So we, and if you give us another year, that side of our business will be taking a money point out every week, right? Mm. So we are hitting it hard and it's working. Then, Then the other thing you have to do around climate change is you have to, people still think it's about Ryanair and flights, and it is to a degree, and they could do a lot more than they're doing. But it's much more about refrigerant gases, for instance, that nobody ever talks about, which is the number one climate change problem. It's about 
the cow, right, and doing something about that. It's about transport. It's about energy. It's about educating women and girls in the developing world, which is the fifth biggest way we can solve climate change. So this lack of understanding around that is a huge problem. So what we did two years ago in Powers Court was the first one, is we built what's called Cool Planet Experience, which instead of beating you over the head and making you feel guilty, because whether we all admit it or not, we all feel a certain amount of guilt about this thing. Even people who are climate deniers, if you talk to them deep down, they feel guilty about this. And so we've now grown up with this kind of guilt that we have about flying. And Jesus, we can't do anything. Like We can't eat meat, we can't fly, we can't do anything. And what we try and do in Cool Planet Experience is take away all that guilt, right? And just talk about what it is today that you can do that's a bit of fun, that's a lot more crack, actually, than the non-sustainable alternative. And just get over all this guilt thing. What can we do about it? And the one here in Dublin, um, Cool Planet Experience here, in the last 12 months, we've had 30,000 people through the doors of that. School kids, families, grannies learning this new way of approaching this huge problem, but not by beating you over the head, not by knitting your own feckin' woolly jumper, but by actually doing very cool and exciting things. And that's what Cool Planet talks about. Give me an example of how, let's say, you know, an ordinary family in Ireland uh, just going about their everyday lives. um, And we're probably all living in houses or apartments that aren't uh, entirely uh, energy efficient. But what steps can they take to make a real difference? So there's there's a mile of simple things. Like one is just, let's take the house, for example. If you haven't availed of the 30% SEAI grants on your house and then financed the retrofit for the rest of it, then you're missing out on a huge financial opportunity because that's the equivalent of a four-year payback on your money, right? And you don't even need your own money because you can go to Bank of Ireland or AIB and they'll do an interest-only loan on, on retrofitting your house. Plus, you'll get 30% of it back. Like, That's if not? you can find a builder. But if you can find a builder is probably the only excuse you would have for not doing that right now. Your house is way more comfortable, way cheaper to run. Then... You don't even need a builder. Why don't you get solar on your roof, right? That's a six-year payback at the moment, which is about an 18 20% return on your money, right? Again, you can finance that. What's your excuse for not doing that, right? So that's just your house. Then why don't you, as a family, go vegetarian two days a week, right? Just buy corn, make chilli, taste exact. I challenge anybody who buys corn and makes chilli to tell any feckin' difference between it and mince. What if you don't like meat. corn? I don't like corn. I, well, you, I will, next time we meet, I will make a corn chilli for you and I will put it next to the other chilli and you will not be able to tell the difference. <laughs> I can guarantee you because I'm a fussy eater and I like a bit of meat and like that's not any kind of leap. You can get meatless meats burgers now from Beyond Meat. They, You can get all these meatless options out there two days a week to save the planet. For Christ's sake, like, is that not that's not much to ask anybody and that will have a profound difference. Then, if you have any few bucks at all, you for instance, right, go away and buy a Hyundai Kona instead of buying any other car, right? It's buy an electric Hyundai Kona, buy a Kia Neo, buy a Nissan Leaf, right? Way faster than an ordinary car, 25 times cheaper to run than an ordinary car. Why? And then if you say, well, I need to go to Cork or I need to go to God knows where once a week, then most families have two cars. Make sure one of them is electric, right? You can still have a petrol car as the other car. 
like and people's excuse for that was that a Tesla is a hundred grand, right? That's a fair enough excuse. A Hyundai Kona, when you take all the running costs into account, is substantially cheaper than any other car you're going to buy right now. Plus, if you buy a petrol car in 2020, you're not going to be able to sell the fucking thing because of the legislation, right? So yeah. people, but we get into these religious debates and we get into the woolly jumper thing and we get sucked into the green message about we must live without. Like none of that stuff I've described sounds that painful. If you sit in a Hyundai Kona and put your right foot down, you won't feel like you're missing out on anything because it'll slaughter a Porsche 911 off the road, right? So you're not, and if you know, having a vegetarian night Jesus, I challenge anybody. Nobody's killing anybody doing that, right? But those things have a profound difference, right? And then there's another thing is, and people are doing this here, which is you sit with your politician and you tell them to cop on and wake up about this thing and learn something about climate change other than bullshit, which is what they seem to, the only thing they seem to understand. Because And they, people are doing that here and it is having a profound effect. And things like Cool Planet... You don't put 30,000 people through Cool Planet. It'll be 60,000 people this year without it having an effect on politicians because on the doorstep now, people want to hear about this. And then the final thing we do, which is completely fucking mental, mm. there'll be a lot of bleeping out on this if you have to bleep this out, is um, what the other thing we wanted to do then is if you've been preached at by the vegans of the world for the last 30 years, Fine, you can go to something like Cool Planet and we can describe these simple steps to you, right? But it takes a shock to the system sometimes to get people to rethink it. And so we set up a new division in the company called our Inspire Division. And what that does is we set up businesses to shock people into a new way of thinking. And the first thing we did there was our car business called Electrify. And what that does is it Instead of competing with the Teslas of the world, which Ireland couldn't compete with Tesla because we don't have a history of making cars and we don't have that infrastructure and we're an island, which would make it very difficult. But how can we inspire the world when it comes to cars? And I love cars, which helps when you're setting up a, a car business. So what we decided to do was take very old and classic cars and convert them into the most beautiful electric cars. And that business... Our business plan for that for last year, which was the first year of it, was to get all we wanted was to get 18 orders for cars. Right. And these things vary in price from 30 grand to two million. Right. And last year we sold 75 cars um, in that business. And this year. We're, our forecast is to sell over 200 cars. And these cars are some of the most beautiful cars you'll ever see. Well, give us some examples. So an example would be like we're, we converted a Ferrari 308, um, which is the car that Magnum PI used to drive in the 80s. And now that is the, that is currently the fastest production car in the world, that, that Ferrari 308. And that's a 1981 Ferrari. So you stick in a, an electric... We, now what we do, we used to take old Tesla motors from Tesla cars that had been scrapped up in Norway. And now we take the same motor that's in a Formula E. So it's a thing called a Yaz motor, um, and or sorry, a Taz motor. And we put that in and we put it in with LG Kim batteries. And these things go like shit off a shovel, basically, um, to use a technical term. So that 
that Ferrari 308 retrofitted how much? Uh, so the first one was a very simple one and we sold it for about 60,000. Yeah. But we've just sold another one for just under a million quid. Yeah. Oh. Who's buying them? Rich, insecure people. Yeah. <laughs> in Ireland? Um, very few in Ireland, but a few in Ireland. And then we've had very famous stars like Dev Patel, the actor. We're converting his Fiat 500 at the moment. Who else? Um, Ellie Goulding's wedding car uh, we built for Ellie. Uh, it's a beautiful old VW minibus um, and uh, one of the most high profile actresses in the world who doesn't allow us to say her name has just ordered the most beautiful old Ferrari office. So, um, so you're rubbing shoulders with the, yeah, the rich and the famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, we have the design centre is in Powers Court, but the factory is in Wales. Like we have planning now for a factory in Powers Court. But they're still, we're still building them in Wales. And when they tell me that somebody is coming yeah. who's famous, then I try and find an excuse to go over and uh, and do it. But the like, there's no shortage of celebrities now who want these things, you know. So when will the factory in Dublin be up and running? I think the end of this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a we're we got planning for a huge extension to not just the car factory, but also to the design centre for the cars and also then our core energy efficiency businesses. And this is out in well. Paris Court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we're putting in like another 150 desks out there at the moment and a design centre too for the cars. So how many people will be By the employed? time all of that will be employed, there'll be about 500 people out there. And how many yeah. cars do you think might come out of Paris Court ultimately per um, year? Paris Court, probably not. Probably 30 a year. Like Wales will still be the bigger factory because... Like labour in Dublin, as you know, is colossally expensive. And, so yeah. it's quite and I hate to mention the B word, but has yeah. Brexit screwed up your plans at all? Not so far, but Dublin as well is a backup plan for for Wales if um, if Wales doesn't, if it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, we've been, like when Brexit, when the Brexit vote happened, we pulled all our investment out of the UK. And over the last year, we've been slowly putting investment back into the UK again. But only 2% of our business currently is in the UK. So that's Electrify. You also have a a meatless meat business. We're starting a meatless meat. It's not up and running yet. Um, And so we've been we've been developing it with one of the universities uh, in Europe. And we're we're probably going to do that with an existing meat company. Yeah. Um, And because the reason we've developed the technology in that area, but while we've been developing it, the meat companies have come up really fast with their own alternatives. And so now we're going to actually work with an existing meat business on it. You know, you say who? No, no. Very what kind of meats are, are we talking about? Um, well, everything you do in meatless meats is basically a vegetable that wants to become a burger, you know. And mm. so and they're all made out of similar stuff. Like there's a thing called heme, which is a derivative of um, yeast, which tastes like blood. And that's a core ingredient and then protein is a core ingredient. So all meatless meats have a kind of similar thing. It's the big challenge is can you make it taste like a meat? And the lately, pretty much all of the new products that come out taste like meat. So have you tried these? I haven't tried them. No, I, yeah. must, I must confess. So again, we should we should have a competition. We should. We should have a taste. We should have a taste uh, competition. Yeah. yeah. Is the future of meat, uh, are the days of meat numbered? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because a cow, if you look at it from an engineering point of view, a cow is a really shitty engineering proposition because a cow is, is a, a cow is a 2% converter of food to food. Mm. 
And you can't do that, like, you know. And the other thing is, if everybody ate meat, like the Irish ate meat, then we would need seven planet Earths to supply all the meat in the world. And we couldn't eat, we couldn't have any vegetables. We would just need the seven planet Earths just for meat. So what's the future of the Irish beef farming sector? Like, there are several problems with the Irish beef farming sector, which is the average beef farmer doesn't make any money. So that's, never mind climate change. Like, you know, if you're a beef farmer, you're barely existing. And so... Like we have to fix that problem as well as fixing the meatless meats problem. And so there is there are multiple questions about the Irish beef farmer, which is and may, probably the future is that ultimately meat will become a bit of an exotic product. And and hopefully the Irish beef farmer will make more money if it becomes more expensive and ultimately it will become more expensive. But that's much more about supply chain like than it is about uh, like the future of the Irish beef farmer has a lot more to do with uh, supply chain than it has to do with and sorting that sure. than it has to do with meatless meats. Um, but Ireland has a big role to play in meatless meats and already like carry ingredients of a meatless division down in Nace on wherever it is down in Kildare already. Right. And their competitors all also have the same thing. So Ireland actually has a big part to play in meatless and already is playing a big part in meatless, you know. Um, so that's not going to get affected. I think the future of the Irish farmer is a very separate discussion from um meatless and climate change. Um, uh, so when does meatless meat come on stream? It's very much on stream now in Ireland. Like if you go in, so... No, but your own company. Oh, I, I'd say it'll be another seven or eight months. Yeah, we're in negotiations with this particular food company at the moment. Is yeah. it an Irish or an international? Uh, it's both. Yeah, they have a factory here, but they're international. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. yeah. That's right. not going to narrow it down for you much. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I but we're doing like across our thing, just to give an idea, we have 18 different divisions um, like we have the cars, we have the meatless thing, we have, you know, our Cool Planet uh, experiences, like we're going to have 20 experiences around the world at the end of the next five years. We're going to have six in China, we're going to have one in France, one in the UK, a bunch in the US, a bunch in South America. So then we have Cool Planet communities, which we launched in Clannacilty before Christmas, like the nine o'clock or the six o'clock news and the nine o'clock news was broadcast from Clannacilty when we launched that. And that's getting communities to engage properly in the stuff we talked about. So the meatless thing is one of 18 different things that we're working on that all have to do with climate change, basically. And um, they're, you know, each one is more exciting than the other, to be honest, you know. So yeah. what's the plan? What's the grand vision for this down the road? Is this something you fill up in the stock market? Is it something you sell on to a bigger company? Yeah. Is it something you grow yourself organically over the years? Ultimately, just make it bigger. It's like the mission has changed from making money, which it does by virtue of what it does. And now it's about climate change. So it's like, when we now look at setting up a new business, we go, does this does this business impact climate change? And not just in a small way, but like, will this impact climate change globally and have a major and profound impact? And if we feel that we have something to add and we feel it does, then we'll do it. And we're told we have a decade to sort this out. Yeah, and at the rate we're going, we're, we're not going to get there. Like, our belief is we our companies can have a major impact but we're not going to get there in time. You're not a big fan of Extinction Rebellion who are similarly exercised about the climate. I, I'm i a huge fan of Greta Thunberg. I think she's amazing. What I don't 
I think all of them fall into the same trap, which is they get into blame. And the minute you get into blame, you paralyze people. And that's why we're not great fans, because they like blame and they like they like blaming the one percent, not realizing that they are the one percent. Because I've met the 99 percent and they're not here. They're not here in Ireland, they're not in Norway, they're not in Paris, right? They're in, you know, Bangladesh. And I've met them and they're in the shits. And they're in the shits because of what we do, you know. So I think it's any of us living in any Western country taking on any holier-than-thou blame attitude is really irresponsible. That's why I'm not in favour of what they do. I'm in favour of, I think Greta does an amazing job of highlighting it and she's to be admired in every possible way. But this thing about blame, blame gets us nowhere, right? Like talking about the things people need to do, the practical steps, talking about new technologies that are coming out all the time that make it easier to take the practical steps. That's the only responsible action here. And blame is not a responsible action. And we that's why we're generally despised by those people more than we're despised by the Trumps of the world, because they they think we're in it for the money. Like we invest every single penny we make back into solving climate change. We are putting our money where our mouth is in a way that other people aren't. And we're we are the people who talk about solutions rather than talking about who's to blame. You mentioned the government and we're going to have a general election this Mm -hmm. year in the coming uh, weeks and months. Mm So what would your advice be to people? Um, should everybody vote for the Green Party? No, I think I don't think they should. I think they should vote. I think they should challenge whoever the candidate who knocks on their door is and force all of the parties to become more literate and more understanding of the problem and the solutions to the problem. Because I don't think the Greens, like I've had rows with the Greens. I admire the Greens in many aspects, but the Greens have a lot of problems because a lot of their policies are unrealistic. And there's no point in going out with unrealistic policies. You can't say, for instance, like we have enough wind turbines here. You know, we're getting a bit sick of looking at them, right? So let's just be realistic about how many more we should put up and where we should put them, right? We could put up a shitload more solar. We could put up a lot more battery storage. Um, battery storage doesn't, like anybody who objects to battery storage is on drugs. You can't see it. It looks like a tiny little building. Nobody can even see the bloody thing, right? So like when it comes to meat and farming, let's not just have an anti-meat discussion. Let's say, why? are farmers in this country having low income? It's not because of climate change, right? That's not the problem. Like, let's be articulate about what the problems are. And they're not climate change. And they're to do with supply chain. They're to do with actually inaction and the government's part, right? So all of these things are... um, they all should become literate because the the next government is not going to be a green government because that miracle isn't going to happen. I'm not convinced a green government is the best thing because I think we have to be realistic about the economics of the country as well. But I, I would push Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to become a lot more articulate about this area. They're not. They're not learning how to solve this problem, really. And they're not learning the massive economic opportunity the country has around climate change. They're just... I've been in and out of Leinster House for 10 years at this stage, and I don't see anyone getting any smarter in there. So finally, are we going to solve this problem in 10 years? No. No, we're not, sadly. And there's going to be a lot more Australias and there's going to be a lot more droughts in Ireland. There's going to be a lot more superstorms in Ireland. This is what's coming. But... Our job at this stage is to move faster, to call it as it is and stop blaming people and stop that bullshit rhetoric about it and look practically every day at the steps we can take 
to to solve it. And then we will get there in the end and we'll be okay. But there's no excuse for not moving faster. Okay, Norman Crowley, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks again to Norman Crowley for his contribution. Declan Collin produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. You can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And remember, you can also follow the Irish Times business feed every day on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.